Hello guys, this is Ben from Bat for FPL and you've joined me for the channel's very first fantasy football podcast. Now we're less than 24 hours away from the very first game week kicking off and I thought I would run you through my team as it stands. I'm pretty sure I won't be making any changes, um, obviously unless I hear some news from the media uh, that, that perhaps a player is not playing. So I'm going to show you my team, but before I do that I just wanted to go into some um, some important things that I learned last season when doing FPL for the, for the first time really properly. I began about three or four years ago doing teams that where I, I didn't really take it that seriously. I just did it casually with some mates um, and I really enjoyed it because I've always been a massive football fan and, and it was kind of an extra way of me enjoying the football as a neutral because I could end up sort of cheering on certain players that I had in my team. But I never really took it seriously to the extent where I was thinking about captaincy um, I was, you know, I was going for the players that that would be perceived as the the best picks that week. I was often going for some some very risky punts, I guess, and and that's something that I kind of had to iron out of myself last season when I played it properly for the first time. So these are the three golden rules, I guess, that I learnt last year, and hopefully to any sort of casual managers out there who want to improve their scores or or take the game a little bit more seriously and perhaps shoot up the rankings. Um, this will be really helpful to them. So the first one is be flexible. Sometimes if you if you dead end your squad into a, into a, a run of really bad fixtures uh, and then you're forced to taking your wild card, you're not thinking about the long term uh, approach that, that the team kind of needs. Instead, what you're doing is you're picking sort of a game week side that looks perfect on paper one week, but then doesn't really have the strength to to take take you through the next few game weeks with really good score so you'll be getting 80 points one week but then sort of 20s and 30s the next and i think that's the first thing you've got to do is look into the fixtures and look into the congestion of those fixtures as well because certain teams really don't play well when fixtures are congested um, the other thing as well with price points is if you've got a team that's incredibly heavy in one area of the of, of the of the squad then it's harder to get to other players um, without completely deconstructing your team and changing the entire structure of it. So at the moment, and I'll tell it in a minute, tell you in a minute, I'm on a 4-4-2, and I'm pretty happy that I've got premiums or premium players all over the field because th what this means is early in the season, particularly with the likes of sort of Manchester United and Manchester City blanking, I've got room to make some changes in, in the early season and, and hopefully jump on some some price rises because as we know game week one is a complete lottery and the real fantasy game starts after game week one um, when you can when you can start really impacting on information that you know now my second rule i guess that i've written down or at least a routine that i'm trying to do this season is don't ignore defence. I think it's something that is incredibly tempting to do, particularly when you see a squad that has the likes of Salah, Aubameyang, Fernandez, De Bruyne, and you've kind of squeezed them all in because they're the most exciting players to watch and the, the best players effectively in the Premier League. And what you end up doing is you ignore those players that are incredible value. I'm thinking this season, when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's 7.5 million, and then Salah, who's 12 million, Trent Alexander-Arnold only scored about 23 points less than Salah did last year and you're gaining so much extra value from having those players in defence who can who can unlock consistent scores. So one big thing I've learned this season is is have 
money at the back and just kind of keep your defence game in, game out. Set and forget them. You don't need to worry if, if Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold are going to be playing Chelsea or Arsenal because whilst they may not get a clean sheet, they're more than more than likely to get something else from an attacking end. So I'm talking Alexander-Arnold scoring a free kick or Robertson getting, uh, getting an assist. I'm going to talk about those two later because they are um, in my game week one side. But um, but that's something that I'm going to try and do here is not ignore defence from the start. And if I've got a defence that I'm happy with from game week one, then I'm less inclined to be ripping my defence apart later on in the season and I can just deal with swapping out my attacking players. And that kind of leads me really nicely into what I think is the most important lesson I learned from last season. And that is that captaincy is absolutely fundamental. If you think about it, a captain's the captain's game score every week often completely decides that week you think of every time you choose a captain and they blank and you're getting a four pointer or a six pointer that really damages your game score and whilst you can never be sure that your captain is going to pull out a monster haul and, and climb you up the ranks you do know the players in fpl who are the ones that are most likely to do well you know those the, the the likes of Salah, Aubameyang, Bruno Fernandes. If they're playing a team that's low down in the table, particularly one of those who are in poor form themselves, they're most likely to be scoring those points. We see it time and time again. And really, fantasy football is is a game of probability. And if you can if you can have the best captaincy option every single week, even if it's uh, for a hit, then that might be beneficial. I'm you know I'm I'm pretty averse to taking hits as it goes, but. If I'm if I decide that a captain is worth it for that week, I will probably end up taking that risk because the upside of that is huge. I guess the player that kind of sums that up perfectly is Aguero, who doesn't necessarily play every single week, but most times he does play, he he does extremely well. And whilst he's probably not a, a good option of a set and forget up front, particularly with with the money that you have to spend to bring him in, every now and then he is an incredibly good option. Uh, let's say. Jesus has played in the Champions League and he's also played a couple of Premier League games. We, we can kind of guess when Pep Guardiola is going to rotate his side, particularly if he's playing a, a low-table uh, team who like to sit back and, and soak up the possession because often Aguero is that player who can break the deadlock and, and get the other team coming out and chasing the game, which opens up the spaces for City. So let's say I saw Aguero for a really, really good uh, fixture, but I didn't have him in my team. It might be worth bringing in a hit for for Aguero because he can hit the upside of captaining him will be huge not not to say also that he he would be a differential that that could really could really punish other managers so I'm going to try and focus on captaincy this season and almost make that my general rule of thumb I'm going to try and plan my captaincy four or five weeks in in advance not to pen in those transfers because obviously my first rule is to be as flexible as possible but I want to be in in my mind, I want to know which players I've got to get to. You know, do Liverpool have a really bad run of fixtures and I can't captain Salah or Mane? Do Chelsea have a really nice run of fixtures and and are they looking like a team that I'm going to want to be targeting for my captaincy? So they're my three rules. Everyone has different um, different rules and I'm sure my rules will change next season after I've implemented uh, implemented these ones. But I thought I'd start by saying, if you've played this last year and you know you had a good season um then 
work on and look at what you can do to better that season. I mean, I finished in the top 14,000 last year. That for me, for my kind of debut campaign, I was really pleased with, but I was desperate to get to that top 10K. And one of the main reasons I didn't was because I didn't really make the most of my chips and I didn't make the most of my captaincies. So with that in mind, this year I'm going to be really careful when I wildcard, when I use my bench boost and my triple captain and so on. And also make sure that I've got a captain ready to go. I don't want to be captaining the likes of a Bamiyang against uh, you know, a really difficult, a difficult fixture like maybe Leicester at home or um, or something like that. Or the, I'm talking more the Leicester of last season. But you know, I've got to be, I've got to be wary of those captaincy picks. So I thought I'd mention that before getting into my team. So I guess this is the, the the moment you've all been waiting for, which is me revealing my game week one side and and who I've who I've given the nod ahead of um ahead of game week one. In reality, we just don't know how certain players are going to perform. So. A good thing to do for your game week one side, if you haven't made it already or you're still thinking of tinkering, is go with the players that you know are generally going to be uh, reliable assets. You know, we know the certain players that are risks, certainly new signings to the league. Are they really going to be performing straight out the gate? So, what I've gone for is Ryan in goal with Walton as his deputy. Uh, both from Brighton. I've then gone for the Liverpool double-up of Alexander-Arnold and Robertson in defence, Sice from Wolves uh, in defence with them, and Justin in a back four. Salah, Aubameyang, Ali and St Maximin in midfield, with Werner and Calvert-Lewin as the two up front. And my bench uh, looks like Ailing, um, who obviously has got a tricky fixture against Liverpool. Bissouma from Brighton as my kind of 4.5 million bench fodder. And Davis from Aston Villa, who obviously blanks in game week one, but he'll predominantly be my third sub uh, throughout the season. In terms of structure, I guess the reason I've gone with this is I, I don't want to ignore defence. So I'm going, I've gone with a back four. I just feel that a £5 million defender looks like it's quite likely going to outscore a 5.5, possibly even a £6 million midfielder this season. Um, so I feel like there's real value at the back and I want to tap into that um, to start off the year. Also, I think that there aren't really that many decent 4.0 um, defenders in the game. We haven't got any Lundstroms this year, it doesn't look like. We don't have a, a, a Aaron Wan-Bissaka. The only potential player I'd be tempted at getting in is Nathan Ferguson from Crystal Palace. Um, obviously, he joined from West Brom on a free last season and, and looked really looked really sharp for West Bromwich Albion in helping them get, get promoted. But now he's... Now he's got his injury and, and it looks like he's not going to be playing for at least the first sort of three game weeks. I just feel that my, there are other fires in my in my team that need putting out. I can't rely on a four million defender just sitting there and not and not be not playing. So I've gone for a back four and I'm hopeful that that's that's going to be really really useful um, in terms of collecting a solid amount of points every single every single week. Ryan in goal is um, is obviously a coin toss, I feel, between him and some of the other 4.5 million goalkeepers. The reason I've gone with him is I just feel that the ceiling for a goalkeeper is far lower than uh, a sort of 4.5 defender. You think of Ryan uh, at, at Brighton, and even though he's 4.5 million and one of the cheapest playing goalkeepers in the game, he's still going to be playing for a side that um, that are able to keep clean sheets. Obviously, Brighton and no, um, you know, then apart from against Man City and teams like that, they are going to be relatively secure at the back. And Potter likes keeping possession, and and I feel that that they will 
see out some some defensive returns for me. Not to mention also that Dunk and Webster, who were great last season, have now been joined by uh, Ben White from Leeds, who was possibly Leeds' best defender last season in their promotion campaign. So Brighton have a great defence. Ryan's likely to be keeping a lot of clean sheets. But also, on top of that, he's going to be the most likely to be making those save points. If you brought in someone like Allison or um, or Edison or somebody like that, they're going to be keeping the clean sheets, but they're hardly going to be having saves to make. So I'm not tapping into that save point market. So I feel Ryan is is the best 4.5 million um, option this season. You might be tempted with McCarthy or perhaps one of the promoted team's keepers like um, Meslier from Leeds, who, who's who been given the nod, I believe, to start, or possibly even uh, Sam Johnston from West Brom. But again, I don't want to be taking many risks to start the year. I want to be going for a team that I trust, and that is Brighton. So Ryan in goal at 4.5, and then Walton as his deputy um, at 4.0 because he plays for the same team. Now, some people will obviously say that with coronavirus and the potential of, of teams not playing uh, in certain game weeks, I'm taking a real risk with Ryan and Walton. And I, I totally agree with that. I think you know there is a potential that rotating two 4.5 goalkeepers could be really really beneficial this year in terms of covering you you know for example if Brighton don't play one game week I've not got a goalkeeper and that's going to be something I'm going to have to cross when I get there the only problem is I just feel for that extra 0.5 million it's it's worth taking the risk in the rest of your squad because the likelihood of a team completely blanking and not playing is quite slim and in that in that instance I might I might be tempted to to take a four-point hit on a goalkeeper or just go without a goalkeeper for a particular game week and they'll have to play that game week again, you know, later down the line and then I've got a goalkeeper who will be playing in a double game week. So I don't really see the issue there. I think goalkeeper transfers are always, always problematic. You know, you take one goalkeeper out one week and then bring in another and the one you've taken out goes and saves a penalty, gets clean sheets and gets a 15-point haul. So I feel goalkeepers are worth keeping in from the start to finish. I really like Ryan. Unless Brighton have an absolute shocking season, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be keeping him until game week 38 or at least until I, I do my first wildcard. Next up, we obviously have Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Robertson, who I feel are going to be mainstays in my team for, for pretty much the entirety of the season unless Liverpool just look like they're completely you know falling away and and they're kind of 7th or 8th or something like that. I think these these two just offer so much value at, at 7 or 7.5 million, you know. You think of that price as a as a midfielder, you're kind of getting a James Rodriguez who could turn out to be really really good or or maybe a kind of Mason Greenwood, but they're never going to score the same amount of points. You know, we're talking pretty much every season kind of 180 points up to sort of 250 points and if I could get 500 points for my FPL team by the end of the season from two defenders um, who cost me only 14.5 million of my whole budget then that's an absolute win for me so I started with Trent and Robertson last year actually and I remember Liverpool had a pretty poor start in terms of the amount of clean sheets they were keeping um, and I quickly jumped off them because I was desperate to to get kind of price rises elsewhere and so on and so forth and and obviously, naturally what happened, uh, and this is why I've got this don't ignore defence uh, mantra that I'm kind of bringing into this season, is the two of them ended up keeping loads of clean sheets and particularly Alexander-Arnold, who I'd fortunately kept, went and um, went and scored loads of goals, had that monster 24-point haul against Leicester, uh, got 
got loads of assists. Um, so I think they're going to stay in my team for the for the for the entirety of the season, really. Um, and as I say, unless unless someone else looks like the standout uh, Liverpool or, uh, defender like Van Dijk, or perhaps you know we might get a a Ben Chilwell from Chelsea who just you know storms storms it and offers the same sort of value that Robertson does, just slightly cheaper. Then then that's who I'd go for. Also, I guess the thing with Trent and Robertson as well that I haven't spoken about is I can see myself getting rid of Salah relatively early on in the season. Um, I think there are so many premium midfield options at, at sort of 12, 12 million to kind of 10.5 million with Bruno Fernandes that in reality, I'm not going to be keeping Salah forever and I'm probably going to be switching up my um, my premium options in midfield throughout the season. So at least with those two Liverpool defenders, I've got that attacking threat from Liverpool in some sort of way and and really Robertson looked phenomenal um in the community shield he looked like their best attacking player even though he was playing at left back and um and he's had a really good pre-season he's on free kicks as well he's been taking quite a lot of them in um in Trent's absence so who knows maybe he'll be getting some some kind of opportunity there to to gain me even more points so those two are definites I think I can't see them getting out um out of my team from now on and um, and I'm hoping that they can do me really well this season. Now, the first thing I did when I opened up the Fantasy Football app when all the prices were announced was look at the defenders because I feel that the 4.5 million defenders offer the, the best value in terms of shaping the rest of your team. So I went there and the first name that jumped out to me was Vinagre from Wolves because, as we know, Johnny is injured, he's got an ACL injury and he looks like he's going to be out for a while. And to get a Wolves defender... Who, who's going to be flying forward in that attacking left-wing back role and, and get lots and lots of points, at 4.5 million is, is just an incredible steal. I understand why so many people had him in from the start because, as we know, Wolves get loads and loads of clean sheets and, obviously, if he's to play week in, week out, he's going to be the one providing assists and crosses for the likes of Jimenez and perhaps even Triore at the far post. So, obviously, Vinagre is a great option. It just seems now that heading into the game week one fixture, he doesn't look like he's nailed on at all. There have been talks of him perhaps leaving uh, Molyneux to go to, to Porto. Um, there there are even even thoughts of him staying but starting on the bench. So partly how my team is structured is I want a set-and-forget defence more or less, or I certainly want three players that I'm going to be playing pretty much week in, week out. And that's why I've gone for Sykes, because I feel even at 0.5 million extra, he still offers that incredible value. He's still dangerous from set pieces. His stats last year proved that. Um, Bolly's not worth it at 5.5 million, I don't think. I think there are other players at 5.5 million um, further down the line. Like I've already mentioned, Chilwell, um, perhaps Kieran Tierney can offer that value as well. But Sykes is a good option for me. I think Wolves' opening fixtures are really nice. That first game against Sheffield United away, I think, has a nil-nil written all over it. Um, both teams have, have been incredible defensively um, since the restart. Or, no, Wolves have been incredible since the restart and, and Sheffield United obviously were, were fantastic um, before that. So I think that both teams have a defensive, um, robust identity and perhaps, you know, aren't necessarily the strongest going forward. Certainly, um, Wolves, since the restart, kind of struggled and were more a kind of grind out a 1-0 win type team than they were a uh, a kind of 3-2 team as we used to know them by. So, Sice is great. Obviously, I'll have to rotate him for that Manchester City fixture game week two, but I've got a plan for that. So, I'm really happy and I'm hoping he's obviously going to do really well for me. 
Now, to start the season, I've gone with Justin and Ailing, but these could be two, any two 4.5 million defenders, really. Um, I, you know, I, I, they probably raised a few eyebrows when I said them earlier because there are other 4.5 million defenders who are perhaps more, um, more tempting, likes of uh, Charlie Taylor from Burnley who keep a lot of clean sheets, or perhaps uh, Carl Walker Peters from Southampton who is um, who is going to be attacking probably or their main source of attacking threat from defence. So I can see why people will go for them personally. Um, whilst I am tempted with Charlie Taylor, I just feel he. He blanks game week one and his fixtures don't rotate quite as nicely as um, as Justin and Ailings do. So I'm, I'm going to avoid him. And Carl Walker-Peters is, is obvious um, because being a Portsmouth fan, as, as some of you may already know, um, I just struggle to have Southampton players in. It does. It, it probably will be if I finish in the top hundred um, and and I lose out because I've not been having Southampton players all season. I may look to change my um, my my tactic. But right now, I just at the end of the day, fancy football is a bit of fun, and I can't go onto the fancy football app or watch a game of football and want a Southampton player to score or to do well. I just find it really hard, and it goes it goes against my um, my nature. So. I'm avoiding Southampton players again this season, even though Ings was pretty much must-known for most of last campaign. So I'm going with Justin and, uh, and Ailing. Justin obviously has a really good game um, first first fixture with West Bromwich Albion away. Then Justin and Ailing will both play in game week two, while Justin takes on Burnley and Ailing takes on Fulham, and Sice rests to the bench while he plays Man City. And then from there on in, um, it will be sort of Justin and Ailing rotating based on the fixture. I've, I've already planned sort of eight to ten game weeks ahead here, and they and they rotate really really nicely. So um, so yeah, I'm going to be playing them them for the majority of of my my first sort of few game weeks, so I can focus all my transfers on attack. And then obviously when I come to do my wild card, I might consider changing. Uh, I think that Leeds particularly, you know, some people will be avoiding them or looking to avoid them. Um, but I think they look they look uh, like they're going to be doing quite well this season. You know, Bielsa's got them organised. They had the best defensive record in the championship last season. They have a brand of football that that's going to last in the Premier League. I think they're not you know one of those um, those teams that shuts up shop and doesn't have the the kind of creativity or progressive style. So in theory, Ailing should do really well. I know some people are looking at Dallas, who's the same price, but for me, I'd rather Ailing because he's He's completely nailed on in that right back slot. I think if um, if anything, Dallas is is perhaps going to rotate with Alioski and um, and also Barry Douglas from from that left hand side. So I'd rather the nailed on pick, and that's why I've gone for for Ailing and and then Justin, who is nailed. I think to start the season, if he if he doesn't um, if he doesn't end up starting later down the line, then um, then I can look to get him out. But I think at the start of the year. It probably looks like Castagna is going to take that that left back slot to cover for Chilwell, and Justin will will replace Pereira until he's back. So moving on to my midfield with Salah and Aubameyang as the kind of main two premiums, I've decided to start with them because I think that Aubameyang offers the best two captaincy options for the first two game weeks. Obviously, some will be captaining Manchester United players in that second game week, but for me personally, I'd rather put my faith in someone who's already had a run out. I think the West Ham is a really good fixture. Uh, at home and Aubameyang should do really really well so Fulham and West Ham are great captaincy options I'm probably going to go for Aubameyang on both even though I'm still rather tempted to put um, 
put it on Salah as well against the against Leeds. I think that Salah, whilst I was tempted not to go for him to start the season, he is the classic example of a reliable fantasy option. You know, we know he's going to be scoring points this season, whereas the likes of a kind of Kai Havertz or a Hung Min Son who might be shoved out onto the left, you know, they're the sorts of players that whilst they offer great value in the long term, if I'm talking short term, I know who I've got my money on and my money's on Mo Salah to do really, really well. I think that as I've as I've spoken about before, I might be doing that Salah down to Bruno Fernandes move in game week two. Um, or certainly game week three. I, I think that really with that flexibility that I was talking about, I don't necessarily want to be making a punt on a player who hasn't even played yet. I think I quite like to see Manchester United and how they perform in that game against Palace. Sure, I might miss out on a few points, but the likelihood is the the information and the knowledge that I will gain from that from that game is going to be really valuable for me making my decision and. Mo Salah can score against anyone, you know. In that game against Chelsea, I think Lampard's going to take the game to Klopp and Klopp's going to take the game to Lampard. And it probably is going to be quite a high-scoring affair, seeing as both teams trust their attack probably more than they trust their defence. So those two to start off with, I think that, um, that Aubameyang is a kind of penciled-in transfer for game week uh, game week three when he faces Liverpool, um, probably for a Manchester City player. Uh, and, and potentially as well, Salah might be moved to Bruno Fernandes if I feel that that's... Uh, something that, that's going to be beneficial in the long run. Now, I guess what you're probably thinking at this stage is I seem to have an awful lot of planned transfers uh, in the kind of early game weeks of the season, and that obviously leads to hits, and hits leads to um, a lot of risk-taking and also sort of possibly negative scores, or at least worse scores than than you would get if you didn't take a hit. And I think where I'm not looking to early wildcard because of coronavirus and some blank game weeks that might come up later down the line I'm kind of happy to take those hits earlier on because you're getting a team that you're happy with and you're jumping on those price rises. And I think where you where you don't make those decisions early on, you end up chasing FPL. And if you if let's say one one player started doing really, really well, but I already had a planned transfer. So I did that planned transfer and left that player that was doing well till the next game week, I'm constantly chasing the um the the tide as it were so I think I'm happy to get that that those players in with those points hits um, I'm not going to take too many I'll probably take a maximum of two it between now and game week five I think that's a kind of nice rounded way of looking at things because I'm not taking too many hits but I am taking enough that's going to get me my team that I'm happy with also it's important to remember that hits are more beneficial earlier in the season you know if you take a, a hit in game week two you've got so many more game weeks to pay off that hit you know if you took out Salah for Bruno uh, for Bruno Fernandez and then brought in Martial for um for a kind of six million or a seven million pound forward you've got more game weeks for those two players Martial and Bruno Fernandez to pay off that hit so I think it's worth it if you if, if you feel it's a it's the right decision I am going to be patient you know, I'm not going to jump on the early bandwagon. I'm going to give it at least two weeks to see, you know, who emerges early on. But I'm not averse to taking those hits because I think it gives you an opportunity to get a team that you're really, really happy with by sort of game week five or six. So if I've spoken about playing it safe and going for players that you know are going to turn out fantasy points more often than not, we're moving into a player that is a big punt. 
And I think you've got to limit your punts in your team to maybe one or two. I don't think you want any more than one or two punts in your team. But obviously it's important to have um, a few because if you manage to get those players um, while while they're in low ownership, you're going to be getting a, a better score and a better overall rank. So I've gone with Deli Ali. I think if you do have the extra million, it's worth going for Hungmin Son because I think Son is a, a reliable fantasy football um, player and he gets a lot of points um, from that from that spot. So go for Son if you can. But if you don't have that extra million, I think Ali could look a really good option this season. I mean, he has a good three opening fixtures. Mourinho has clearly enjoyed um, working with him so far. We saw that in the All or Nothing documentary. Um and Mourinho's sort of been playing Ali as a as a kind of shadow striker now. And if you think if you think that Kane's going to be playing from game week one, which I think is highly likely now we've seen him in the international uh, in the international break, we've now got Ali, who's going to be the player who's going to be playing right behind him, and Son is actually going to be the one that's pushed out to the wing. So I think it's a it's a coin toss really between those Tottenham assets. And I'm seeing Ali very much as a placeholder to bring in either one of the Chelsea boys, either Havertz or um, or Pulisic, depending on who I think is the better option. I think, you know, going into the season, Pulisic would have been a name that I'd have been really interested in. You know, he's he's a player that, that takes a lot of shots, much like Mo Salah, and, and he's quite greedy, which is kind of perfect in FBL because you want those players who are constantly taking shots on target. But on the flip side, you've got Kai Havertz, who... According to Frank Lampard, has been sensational in training. I think now that Zayech is definitely injured until sort of late September, early October, you've got Havertz definitely starting in game week one. Most probably, I think, if I'm taking a guess, most probably on the right hand side. I think you know Mount's been Mount's been a player that Frank Lampard's liked to hang like has liked to hang his hat on. Uh, so in reality, it's probably going to be on the left hand side, Pulisic. Um, potentially coming off the bench, that is. So I can imagine someone like Hudson Adoy starting. So Hudson Adoy on the left with Pulisic coming on, Havertz down the right, and then I can imagine Mount playing through the middle with a kind of Jorginho and, and Kante base. That's what I would predict, but that's obviously a, a punt, and I don't want to be taking a punt on a player who I don't even know is going to start. So Pulisic and Havertz are going to have to wait for me. Ali's going to play the first couple of fixtures. I'm going to get a kind of flavour of how he's going to perform and then make my decision later down the line, probably getting that extra bit of money from the Aubameyang to De Bruyne transfer. That's going to give me the extra 0.5 to move on him. If I see his price rise, I'm not going to jump at it necessarily um, because obviously I want to be patient and making the right move at the right time. But that is a, a way I, I've been I've envisioned at least getting the extra 0.5 and maybe jumping on one of those players when they start to do really, really well. So Alan Sam Maximin as my 4.5 midfielder has pretty much been a set and forget in my team. But fortunately, I've become more and more pleased with that pick um, as, as the game weeks have, or as the weeks have gone on. I think back when I put him in first, I thought, well, he's he's a talisman in a team that don't really like to attack. So if there's a goal, there's a good chance he's going to be on the end of it. But Newcastle don't really create that many chances, don't really get that many goals. So he is a bit of a punt. Now that they've brought in the likes of Frazier and uh, Callum Wilson, and even you know Jamal Lewis down the left-hand side of defence could could cause a lot of problems, I can see Sam Maximan getting a lot more chances than he had last year. We obviously have seen how much of a, a talented player he is. There's no question about that. But it's whether he's a good fantasy 
um, fantasy asset is is the is the difference there. So I'm going to start the season with him. I think of all the 5.5 options, he's he's the best. Um, I know that you know I, I don't go for Southampton players anyway, but I still think anyone who's looking at Armstrong as a as a replacement or as a as a kind of differing option to to Sam Maximin has probably got that one wrong. I mean, obviously, I don't know how these players are going to perform, but I just feel most of Southampton's kind of points are going to come from Ings and Adams. So um, I'd avoid Armstrong if I were you. And Saka's, Saka's possibly the more explosive pick at 5.5 million. You know, he could have a really good first couple of games against Fulham and West Ham and, and perhaps a sister Bamiyang and things like that. But I just feel long-term, he's such a rotation risk, seeing as they've got both Pepe and um, William on that side. We know Aubameyang's not going to play through the middle, um, or at least we can we can assume it because he's not been doing that in pre-season. So I think the likelihood is it's going to be Nketiah or Lacazette through the middle, which means that Saka's probably going to have his minutes managed quite heavily during that time. Um, and, and Basuma, as a 4.5 million player, I mean, I don't really have an opinion on the 4.5 million um, assets. I think you could easily go for one of the Fulham boys in, in Reed. Perhaps even Lamina or Angrisa will be the better choice because I think from what I've heard, Reed is the kind of holding midfield player and then Angrisa or Lamina are going to play that box-to-box role, but we don't know who that's going to be at this stage. So if you wanted to take a gamble on one of those two, they're, they're possibly going to be better than, than anyone else. But Bissouma I've gone for because I think as far as you can be in a Potter side, he is probably the most likely to be nailed in that midfield. And I'm just going on the fact that he had a really good um, good spell leading up to, to the end of the season last year in post-restart. And whilst he wasn't necessarily posting really good numbers, he was playing really well. And that, that at least suggests to me that he's going to be starting more often than not if he continues in that development. And all you really want from your 4.5 midfielder is a safe and secure two or three points to come off the bench every week so that if one of your players misses out, he's going to be there to um, to, to support that role. So Basuma as my kind of 4.5 mid um, and my second sub most most game weeks uh, will be will be kind of the, the role he'll play. So finally, we're on to my defence with, with Werner and Calvert-Lewin. And obviously with Timo Werner, you've got a player there that's incredibly highly owned, probably the obvious pick. And I feel there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, the fact that so many people have him in is reassuring because it means that if he does really well, then 60% of people, how many people are not on him, are going to miss out. But if he, you know, if he does really badly, then it's not like it's the end of the world. And there are so many people around his price point, like Martial, who I'm incredibly interested in and wish I could somehow get into my team earlier than I probably will end up getting him. But um, more, you know, that's that's something that I've got to I've got to accept I guess. There is Aguero who who could still do really really well. Kane who could come out the gates flying and and show the kind of Kane of old that we that we used to associate with him. So I think with Werner it's a it's a kind of wait and see. I think he's lucky that he's got a Brighton game that looks like a real real peach of a game early doors because with with Chelsea they're going to be wanting to make a statement quite early on and I think they're going to go all gung-ho on that game with Brighton and even though I'm not confident enough to go for Havertz or Pulisic I want a piece of that pie and I think that Werner's the best way of getting that I can see him quite easily scoring a lot of goals and when you think of Chelsea or at least when I think of Chelsea I always think of um, them playing around a a centre forward you know the likes of Didier Drogba 
um, Diego Costa. You know, their number nine often scores a lot of goals for them and is that kind of talisman. And I'm hoping that Timo Werner turns into that. So I'm pretty happy to keep him in my team for for a long time, as long as he as long as he sort of ticks over with a kind of goal a game, that kind of thing, or you know, goal every other game. Um, and then obviously I can look to move him on if uh, if I feel that there are more explosive picks in the league. And Calvert-Lewin is a player that I've had for quite a while now. You know, he's been in for a couple of weeks. I think ever since Everton looked like they were really meaning business in the transfer window and were linked with all these names, I thought, you know, I'm going to put him in there, see what draft I can kind of create with him. And and obviously if Everton don't sign players, I've got loads of other options that below him are kind of, you know, 6.5 million. I've got Antonio, although obviously his fixtures aren't great. At 6 million, I've got Mitrovic. Um... But Calvert-Lewin stayed because ultimately Everton have smashed it this transfer window. You know, I think you know we're used to Everton signing big names. You know, they like throwing fifty million at the uh, kind of high-profile players, and it doesn't always work out. You know, then it might be the case that Everton don't don't manage to succeed in in the way that they want to this season. But I trust Ancelotti, and I think he's built a really solid team. You know, you think Decore and Allen are two incredible ball winners, particularly Allen, who's considered you know, um, one of the best sort of defensive midfielders in, in Europe, they're going to create a really nice base for the likes of James Rodriguez and and Richarlison and, and possibly even Sigurdsson. I don't know who else is going to play in those sort of attacking midfield roles. They're, they're going to be given the freedom to really excel and, 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 and get on the front foot and score Everton a lot of goals. And who do I want? Calvert-Lewin. I want that player in the middle in the six-yard box, getting the tap-ins, getting the points, um, and, and kind of having lots of shots in the box. Whilst I'm possibly not backing the player, Calvert-Lewin, although I do like him and I think he's a promising young talent, I'm backing Everton with this pick. And I think $7 million to tap into that market is a really, really nice um, nice price point. And obviously, if it doesn't work out, I've got the option to perhaps move lower with, um, with the likes of Antonio, who who's been excellent um, since the restart and, and could continue that form. Chris Wood is someone I've definitely got my eye on in, in the watch list. You know, if he was starting game week one, I'd be tempted to um, to have him in from the start. But I feel it's a kind of wait and see, see how Bernie perform because they kind of they kind of have on and off years. You know, three years ago, they did brilliantly and qualified for Europa. Then two years ago, they were they were kind of scrounging at the bottom of the table um, you know, got off to a really, really poor start and, and Deitch turned it around and they did all right in the end. And then last year they had another great season. So they kind of can go on and off the boil. So I want to see how Wood performs and, and then perhaps he'll be someone I'll move to. Or obviously, if Calvert-Lewin doesn't offer the right value at 7 million, I can I can look to get someone like Jimenez in or, or, or Martial or someone who perhaps is slightly more premium but um, but still offers me good value in, in that striking position. And finally, with Davis as my third sub, I mean, I think the main reason I've gone for him is that he looks the most likely to get some sort of minutes from that 4.5 slot. You know, he played quite a bit since the restart um, when when the likes of Wesley were out. And and whilst he, he looks like he's not going to get that many minutes now they've signed Watkins, he is a player that will, um, that will probably come on from the bench get subbed kind of 20 minutes and, and kind of be a classic one-pointer. And as I look at my bench right now, I've got Ailing or Justin, whoever, you know, doesn't play in my in my first 11, is going to be my kind of first sub and, and offer, offer me relatively uh, good value from that first sub role. Then I've got Basuma, 
who will be getting me a couple of points, and then probably Davis, who who will kind of be my least likely to get those points. But I always think when when's the likelihood of you using or needing to use three substitutes? It's very very rare. And whilst I understand the argument that coronavirus could potentially um, cause us to need subs more than ever this year, I don't really want to have to you know I don't want to go into the season with that mentality. I think it's best to. Go with what we know. Go with the system that worked last year. And if we have to change our, our thought process, then that's what things like wild cards are for and, and, other, and other chips like that. So Davis is very much my, my third sub. Not going to get any game time at all. And it leaves me with a really, really nice 4-4-2 that is both flexible, has good value in defence, and has nice captaincy options for the first two fixtures as I consider what to do afterwards. So that's kind of it for this podcast. Obviously, I've taken you through my team and also the thoughts that I'm having early season. I guess the last thing to say is if you have a bad game week this week, don't let it affect you because it effectively is a lottery, isn't it? The game week one, we, we don't know nearly as much information as we would like to and everyone takes on different punts. You know, I've got Ali in my team. I do admit that he is potentially a risky uh, player. If he does really well, then... I'll take those points, but I won't necessarily look at it and go, that was a, a stroke of genius, me having him in, you know? So don't be disheartened if, you know, Pereira from West Brom ends up scoring a hat-trick. You know, some people will have taken that punt and have him in, but it doesn't mean that he's suddenly essential, you know? Game week one is a lottery, and we need to approach it like a lottery. So I would say the most important game weeks are sort of game week two to game week eight. So if you can take those, um, those decisions really seriously and, and make sure that you're taking the right amount of risk and reward during that time period, then you'll set yourself up for the season really, really well. Finally, before I go, just a little plug to make sure you've signed yourself up for the Back for FPL Mini League, which is totally free to join. Uh, the incentive, I guess, of joining it is that every week, the highest scoring player for that particular game week, so not overall, but for that particular game week, will get uh, a shout out on the podcast and also I'll post your team on social media so that everyone can see how well you did. So, that's just going to be a bit of fun throughout the season. Hopefully it's going to get each of us kind of talking and commenting about our teams um, throughout the season. So head to our um, Back for FPL Instagram page or our Back for FPL Twitter page to find out that league code. So you can in input it before 11 o'clock tomorrow, which is when the deadline finishes. I guess all there is left to say now is good luck for the weekend and I'll catch you next time.